0: As we head into a time of hearing from God's word, will you join me in prayer? Holy God, we just join in what the kids sang and just recognize that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. This morning, God, would your word go out? Would it light up the path for us today? Might we see something we haven't seen before? Will you speak to our souls? God, we want to be more like you. We want to be transformed to be more like your son, Jesus. Would you do that in us now? We pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And scholars believe it's possible that Paul in this passage is responding to critics of his ministry, or it could be that he's just anticipating some of the criticism that might be coming. But in doing so, we get a great picture of what Paul's ministry was like. So let's take a look at this together. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You remember our labor and our toil. Brothers and sisters, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You were witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was towards you. As you know, we dealt with each of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The word of the Lord. I want you to imagine with me for a minute what this must have been like for Paul. Can you imagine the job that Paul had here? When he showed up in a town like Thessalonica, he was quite literally one of the first to tell them about the person of Jesus an attempt to convince them that this human, this flesh and blood human was God incarnate and that he died and rose again. Not only that, but Paul was the sole representative in this case, along with Timothy and Silas, but the sole representatives to show these people what it's like to follow this God. He would have to teach them what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. How would you go about this if this was your call? If you had to go to a people who don't know Jesus and share with them or convince them that he is who he says he is, how would you do it? And you can imagine the people would be skeptical and would be watching and analyzing every move that Paul and his companions made. What kind of life would Paul have to live to show them what was possible with Jesus? Are you ready to sign up for this job? Today we are kicking off stewardship season in our sermon series, The Heart of the Matter. And specifically today we want to get to the heart of the matter on how we pass our faith on to the next generation. How do we, like Paul, show up in the lives of the next generation to show them who God is and to invite them to live lives that are worthy of God who calls them into his kingdom and glory? How do we shape character and instill in them a heart to follow Jesus and live out his mission in this world, this ever-confusing and ever-complicated world? I have this quote that sits on my desk and it reads, your ministry is perfectly designed to achieve the results you are currently getting. Your ministry is perfectly designed, perfectly designed to achieve the results you are currently getting. I love this quote because anytime I'm tempted to place blame on our less than anticipated ministry results, maybe on crazy sports schedules or lazy parents, none of you here today of course, um, or I don't know, you can blame a lot of other things, Republican, Democrats, your favorite political nemesis, the economy, whatever you want to blame. But anytime I'm tempted to pass blame, I'm reminded your ministry is perfectly designed to achieve the results you are currently getting. Here in First Thessalonians 2, we get a great picture of Paul's ministry design. We get a glimpse into how Paul went about this massive task he was given by God. The results are good, so let's take a look at the design today to see what we might learn. Paul sets out in these 12 verses to appeal to the witness of the Thessalonians that his ministry among them was different than maybe some others who were just selling religion. If you walk through these verses, Paul reminds them in verse 1 that when they came to them, they had just suffered. They were flogged and imprisoned in Philippi. And Paul and his companions, they didn't shrink from the opposition. This gospel matters greatly to Paul, and he's willing to suffer for the sake of it. He reminds them this wasn't about impurity or deception or trickery. He reminds them in verses 5 through 7 that this wasn't about money or showing off or making demands with their status as apostles. It wasn't about greed or fame, but it was about the gospel. In verses 8 through 12, he reminds them of how they acted while they were with them. They were like nursing mothers caring for their children. They were holy and blameless in their conduct and how they treated the people of Thessalonica. They were like fathers encouraging and exhorting them to live their best possible lives. And then right there in the middle of all this, in verse 8, we get this. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. We were determined to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives as well, because we care for you. Here we are starting to see the basis of how Paul went about the task of sharing God's love with these people. Did you notice the other phrase that Paul kept repeating? as you know, you yourselves know, you were witnesses, as you yourselves know. In reminding the Thessalonians about the authenticity of their ministry among them, he doesn't point to logic or reason. Remember that lesson I taught or that great point that I made? He doesn't even appeal to the facts of Jesus or the resurrection. He doesn't point out flaws in other religions or philosophies that they might be living into or encountering. Are worshiping. He appeals to relationship. He appeals to the experience of the relationship they shared when he was with them as evidence of the authenticity of his message. Think about this for a minute. Paul's life would have been easily observed. You can imagine as Paul traveled to these cities, he would eat in the city square. He conducted business as a tent maker. He stayed in people's homes. He entered into the life with the people of the city. They saw him in action every day among the people. What Paul is doing here is practicing the incarnation of Jesus. He is practicing exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus showed up. He came in flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood He showed us what the Father was like by living and walking among us. He was compelled by love, and he invited us into his life. Think about Jesus' own ministry as he walked this earth. Yeah, he spoke to the masses, sure, but he pulled the 12 in close. He shared his life with these 12. See, Jesus knew if he wanted to shape hearts, If he wanted to instill his mission in the lives of his followers, it was not going to happen through teaching alone. If he wanted to turn men and women into kingdom shaping agents, it was going to be more than just establishing doctrines or religious practices. He brought them in close, and in doing so, the disciples became sponges. They observed, they watched, they learned, they soaked it all in. And eventually, they became like Jesus, and they took his mission to be their mission, even to the point of death. Mark 3.14 says, and this is when Jesus was calling the disciples, and he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him. Did you catch that? He appointed them apostles to be with him. And then the verse continues, and to send them out and to preach and cast out demons with authority. Friends, as we think about the heart of the matter in the next generation, isn't this what we want? To be with them and to send them out with authority. To show up for them with the love of God and watch as God does his transformative work and sends them out in the world, into the world to be world changers. Reggie Joyner, one of my heroes, reminds us that you don't shape a kid's faith by teaching them doctrine. Whatever you talk them into, somebody else can talk them out of. You don't shape a kid's faith by persuading them to have better standards. They may ultimately give up if they feel like they don't measure up. You don't shape a kid's faith by getting them to attend your events. At some point, they will compare the quality of your production to what culture produces and you'll probably lose. But you can shape a kid's faith by connecting them to caring adults who will be present in their life. It's relationships that matter. It's relationships that help faith stick. It is Jesus with skin on. It is you and I practicing the incarnation. This is why I'm so thankful for the volunteers who show up weekly in our ministry in the lives of kids and students around here. And you may not know this, but they actually have their own version of 1 Thessalonians chapter two. It may sound like this. And neighbors or Phil Ernst might say, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at celebration by some high school freshmen, we had the boldness to proclaim the gospel in the face of such conflict. Or Susan Marvin or Alex Olliman may say, we didn't come seeking praises from elementary kids. Instead, we made a fool of ourselves in skits and games that we swore we would never play again. Or Melissa Tanis or Cora Rodriguez might say, we didn't come with a pretext for greed. We simply took our wages in the form of goldfish. When it comes to the heart of the matter, you and I know the kind of love that transforms and makes a difference doesn't happen from the sidelines. I wonder this morning where God is inviting you to show up for someone today. Where is God stirring your heart and love and inviting you to open up your life a little bit to someone around you? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a friend, is it a family member? Where might God be calling or pushing you to take a step in love towards someone? I was a pretty insecure kid growing up and I'll never forget the day Ryan McDonald put a guitar in my hand and invited me to play in the praise band at the church as the only kid, the only student in the praise band. I'll never forget the day Taz, which is an incredible youth pastor name, but Taz pushing me to lead when I had no confidence to do so. Being around those two men and being invited to share life with them taught me so much. I owe a great deal to them today for who I am. I think this is why in the Old Testament, they said the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, For me, it was the God of Taz, it was the God of Ryan. There are kids growing up in this church who will say it was the God of Jared, the God of Martha, the God of Mike, the God of Carol. Because like Jesus, like Paul, they showed up in the lives of young people, sharing with them the extravagant love of God and it made all the difference in the world. Where might God be inviting you to show up and to share his love today? Amen.